One special announcement you'll want to take note of is that our summer missions interest meeting is going to be February 26th. February 26th at 5.30 in the conference room. Uh, We have plans to go to Peru this year, and if you're interested in joining us on our team uh, to visit Alonzo Ramirez in Peru, take note of that date, February 26th at 5.30 p.m. uh, in the conference room. Now, uh, a few special announcements, uh, or just one special announcement in particular, uh, and I believe Nate's got a picture up there. If you recognize these faces, we have some very encouraging news. Uh, A couple months ago, we announced that Oxford Evangelical Presbyterian Church is one of our mission works uh, that we've been uh, partnering with for several years now, has been in the process of acquiring a long-term lease on a building in Oxford. For those of you who don't know, uh, getting property in Oxford is basically impossible. Uh, And so they came across an opportunity. The Lord provided an opportunity And he has blessed our prayers. A few months ago, we learned that they had won their bid to get the long-term lease on this property. And this morning, Andy Young sent us an update saying they have the signed lease, they have the keys, and they are able to enter the building. They're not worshiping there yet because there's a massive amount of renovation, so keep that in prayer. Uh, But it's an encouraging answer to many of your prayers. The Lord has provided a place uh, for his people to worship in Oxford. So I hope that's an encouragement as we start our missions banquet conference and going into Sunday. Uh, the Lord works uh, through his people, and he has answered prayer. That's uh, a great encouragement. Let me open us up in prayer, and then we will have a missionary moment uh, from our uh, missionary partner in Albania. Bertie Kona uh, is here with his family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the work which you've given to your church. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, which you have promised and you have given. We thank you for the sovereign reign of Jesus Christ, by which we receive uh, this commission, that he has all authority over all creation, and that you have sent us on this great mission uh, to the ends of the earth to make disciples, Lord. We pray uh, for our missionary partners as they're here with us today and on Sunday. Uh, Would you encourage them? Would you encourage us and help us to know more of what you're doing uh, through your great commission and through your word and by your spirit, Lord? Be with uh, the speaker this evening, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We'll have our missionary moment from Bertie Kona. Um, Our brother asked me this evening to uh, maybe share um, a few stories from life in Albania. I think um, uh, last time I was here three weeks ago, I gave you the the main reference points, um, new uh, newly particularized church as of two years ago, our relationship with growing uh, other uh, church plants by the Presbyterian Church of Brazil and the Dutch Reformed Church in Holland, and our new college, theological college that we have started. But tonight I would like to encourage you um, with the power, when Paul says uh, the preaching of the gospel is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, um, Paul says in in uh, First Thessalonians, that I'm, I'm grateful for you that you received our word as it actually is the word of God. And Paul uses the word our. Uh, it's Paul preached in Thessaloniki, Timothy preached in Thessaloniki, and Silas preached in Thessaloniki. 
And of course, when the, when the apostle preaches, is the word of God. But even when the other two, who are just uh, normal preachers, um, preach, it's always the word of God. And whenever the word of God is heard or read, conversions do happen. And I would like to share with you my own conversion story. It was the uh, second week of February of 1992. Albania had just opened up. The old system had just fallen down. A, the first missionary group entered Albania since 50 years before, since the end of Second World War. And uh, in God's providence, I bumped into one of these missionaries downtown, and they gave me a Bible. Um, it was just the New Testament. It wasn't the greatest translation. Uh, it was a, tra uh, a paraphrased translation by Brother Andrew, who in Europe is known as, very well known as uh, uh, a Bible smuggler. Um, and I, I got that. Uh, I got that. I... It was afternoon, went home, started reading it. The communist system had fallen so hard that there was not even books on the market, much less bread or other items. And um, I started reading, and I read all the way to the uh, end of Romans, and it was 4 o'clock in the morning. And I knew exactly uh, what I had done and what I needed to do in order to be saved. And I knew exactly what Jesus had done for me. I'd never been to church before. There had never been yet in the city a, a, an open worship service. Um, and the Bible, of course, was very confusing for me that first night because I thought my Bible was broken. There was something wrong with it. There was a lot of numbers throughout the pages and I thought this got to be footnotes or endnotes, but there was no text at the end of the page or at the end of the book. And I thought this, this is very strange. It took me a while to figure out those are verse numbers and chapter numbers. I'd never seen a Bible before. And just by reading the Bible, I, I was converted. I'd never seen anybody pray before in my life. And somehow I found myself at four o'clock in the morning, um, just on my knees, never heard anybody pray. I just read a few prayers from all those passages that I've seen so far. But, uh, and, 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 and I felt God's presence. Um, and that was the moment of salvation for me. And stories like this are many. And I know that Brother Aaron will tell you hundreds of stories like that. They're normal. This is the usual stuff all over the world. One of my ruling elders, Dr. Arion, when he was still a high schooler, he found a Bible um, on the floor, on the ground, by one of the trash cans. And I suppose some missionary had given a Bible to some kid. He went home with it. The parents said, nope. And threw it probably out of the window, landed somewhere close on the sidewalk by a trash can. And um, our current ruling elder, being a bookworm, um, saw a book on the floor. Hey, free book, picked it up. 
and read it throughout his life all the way when he was in college, when um, he was invited to some Christian student um, Bible study. But he was already converted by the time. He'd been reading the Bible for five, six years. Um, and when I met him a couple of years later, I thought, okay, this should be fun. He had been in church for about a year. And I thought, let me give him a theological examination. And he falls squarely within the Reformed camp. Um, and at that point, I, I uh, was reminded of a saying that Carl Robbins has when he says that you have to go to church to learn Arminianism. If, you just, if you're just left alone with your Bible, you always end up Reformed. And... Um, and so when it came his time to be ordained in the PC as a ruling elder, of course he had no exceptions to the confessions. It totally made sense. It had been making sense. It had been making sense for him for, for, for quite a while. Um, and, and so it, you, you're always amazed at, at how God can, can use scripture and, and even a little bit of scripture. I, I remember Early in the days, in the mid-90s, um, I was doing evangelism through the villages. And we came upon this village that it was, later on I understood it was all of it, it was a Muslim village. And the people said, you got to go to that guy's house over there. He's, he's a Christian. So I go there. He, uh, he's a man um, who came from a Muslim family but had become a Christian some time during the communist times in a very uh, strong providential way. Uh, during the communist times, apparently a couple of uh, military um, air, uh, fighting pilots that were stationed in Italy heard that Albania was a closed country. So they said, um, we need to do something about that. So they got some old literature, uh, previous translations of the Bible into Albanian. And they had packed some of those in little parachutes, and they flew in and out of the Albanian coastal line, dodging all the Russian MiGs or Albanian MiGs. And they parachuted these Bibles throughout the, the coastal line. Well, this man said that when he was um, almost an adult, he found a portion of the Bible that had disintegrated from falling from the air, hanging on a tree branch. It was only 12, uh, it, it was only 12 chapters from the Gospel of Luke. And he had been reading it for 20-something years. And I thought, okay, this should be fun. Let's, let's give him a theological examination. And he's a believing man. He knows every... He knows salvation. He, he knows Christ. He knows exactly what Jesus has done for him. He was unsure about what exactly is the role of the Holy Spirit. And so we had to have a Bible, Bible study about that. Um, but only 12 broken pages from the Gospel of Luke were enough to, to save him and to convert him and to um, bring him to Christ. Um, I remember one... Um, Friday service, I was preaching through, um, I, I, was, I, was, I was preaching on 
the crucifixion of Christ and the two reactions that he got from both of his sides on the cross, the, both criminals, one that converted and one that mocked him till the end. And there is this man in front, um, and he was crying. Um, he was bawling uh, because he saw himself with a criminal on the cross. He came from the streets. He was a driver for some dark local lord there that moved illegal substances around. And he had been coming to church for a few months. Um, and just that story of Christ forgiving the criminal to his right uh, just saved him. He saw himself in that story. And you see that in our country, we're coming out of communism and mostly Islam. You, we rely on those conversions, and, and God is saving people all the time. God is, is bringing people to saving faith just by the regular preaching of the gospel and, and, and the Bible reading. And then we see also, as you see it here in this church, children of believers now that are uh, our second-generation Christians in the country, um, that they get saved, they don't know. They cannot tell you a time and a date when they started believing. But it just one day they, they see themselves in Christ and they come and let you know, and then they are admitted to the Lord's table. The Lord is saving people all the time. Um, and um, we just need to be out there and preach and teach and give out Bibles. And I remember one of the um, most wonderful um, teaching for evangelism that I ever received um, was a man who was teaching us how to use tracts. And uh, he said, uh, using tracts for evangelism is very simple. You just simply do this. And, and, and nobody's going to reject um, something that you give them with your whole heart and with much prayer. And I, I think that's, that, that's the, the main thing as an encouragement for, for you all is to seek for providential encounters um, from God. I was, I guess, um, already a Calvinist. Three months later, I was, after I was saved, um, I was asked to go with this missionary team in a different city to evangelize door-to-door to do door-to-door evangelism. And being an introvert and shy by nature, I wasn't ready to talk to the crowds. And um, so I prayed every morning. I said, Lord, give me only one person to talk to today and protect me and my time from the people who don't want to be saved today. And I stayed in that city for 21 days. And I talked to only 21 people. And all of them came to saving faith at the end of the day. And it was very encouraging that later on I will run into people um, at different stages of my life. And I remember... One day I was down, I was depressed, I was tired. And I ran into this man who introduced himself to me. He said, you evangelized me in 1994. 
And he was one of the local pastors in the city where I had evangelized him. Um, and I met almost all, all the other ones. They recognized me. I didn't, I didn't recognize them. And, 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 and you see that you just, you just need to pray. God, use me today. Protect me from people who will want to squander my time. Give me that providential blessing today. Give me the courage to just do this. And they will continue to ask questions. They will bother you with questions. Um, and give me the wisdom to, to answer. And the word of God is going to do um, the very rest. So uh, there, there's plenty of encouragement for, for us to just do um, a means of grace ministry, as you guys do in this church. God honors his own word, and, um, and God pays his own bills, um, and he takes care of his own people, and it's a wonderful thing. Now, if there is any question, I will be glad to, to answer. Seeing none, I'll sit down. We're so glad you've joined us tonight, and we're so excited for our missions conference. Bertie, I'd never heard the, the story of you coming to faith. That is thrilling. Thank you for sharing all of that. Uh, we're delighted to have as our speaker tonight the Reverend Aaron Halbert, who uh, actually grew up in Honduras. Uh, he's, uh, his father was a missionary from America. He and his brothers grew up there. And uh, we were just talking, at, he, he said, yeah, we're at the point, all the sons are in Latin America doing missions work. And he said, in our, and we're overseas and apart from our aging parents. I said, from your perspective, it's really your parents who are overseas uh, by being back in the States. But he's an ordained minister out of the Mississippi Valley Presbytery of uh, the PCA. He's a graduate of Reformed Theological Seminary. I see he's wearing University of Tennessee socks. Does that mean you went to, I mean, it must, you would only wear them if obligated. Oh, he grew up in Knoxville. That's what it was. But we're so delighted as a church to support just exactly the thing Bertie was talking about, ordinary means of grace missions, missions and churches. Aaron and his wife went back to Tegucigalpa where he was raised and they started a Bible study, and they have planted a church, and they are the Reformed Church there. And their aspiration, talking to him just tonight, and he may be talking about these later on, but uh, is to plant other churches and to have a presbytery and a denomination there. And he said to me casually, I intend to die in Honduras. I said, I hope it's not soon, because you're very useful. But what he means is he's committed to the long-term work. Of, of leading other pastors and doing the evangelism, the pastor's training. There's exciting things happening there. Uh, and it's just a blessing to us to have you back, Aaron. So please come and speak to us. It is uh, a joy to be here. I was here about a year and a half ago, and I spoke on a Wednesday night. I am proudly wearing Tennessee socks in light of what happened just a couple weeks ago in Florida against Clemson. I'm sorry for you Clemson fans, but the right orange did succeed. Um, so I just want to point that out. And for you South Carolina fans, you can call it the South, the, the South Carolina caused that bowl to happen, right? So 
With that being said, right here, y'all can see a picture of Tegucigalpa. Uh, This is about a mile from our house. This is called Park Juana Laines. Um, I don't know if Brendan knew that that was uh, real close. Actually, if you come on a mission trip, that's the first place we take you. Uh, It has a view of the city. Tegucigalpa is two different uh, towns that grew together with a river that runs through it. Comayaguela and Tegucigalpa. That view is looking towards Comayaguela. And if you look up right by the sea, there's the runway up there. They just closed that runway because it was uh, one of the most dangerous runways in the world. Uh, so, but it was very entertaining. It tested your faith uh, as you came down around the around the the valley, and then you were still turning as they were setting the plane down. So. Um, the, the guy who flew for Delta was a former uh, Air Force pilot, and he said, this is my favorite runway to land on. Um, so it was challenging. Uh, just a little bit about the work, and then we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 6 this evening. But um, we have been in Tegucigalpa now for about uh, eight years. Uh, we moved back for a year of language school. My wife didn't have any Spanish, and then uh, the next year we had triplet girls, and so it was kind of survival mode. Um, and then right after that, we planted a church in Tegucigalpa with a, a national pastor. His name is Josue Pineda. Josue has been a, a massive benefit to us. Uh, Josue came to the Reformed faith through the church um, slowly but surely, and then has uh, been ordained in the Mississippi Valley. He is actually going to attend Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary starting in June, July of this year to get his THM so that we can begin the process of training men in Honduras with a partnership with Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary. Right now, we are the Presbyterian Church in Honduras. That's all there is. There There was a time where there was some Dutch influence in Honduras, but that has all disappeared. And so, really, we are a reformed presence there. And all we're doing, and it's, this is just a testament of what you've heard, is we've, we kind of showed up and said, we're going to preach, pray, sing, read, and see the word in the sacraments, and let's see what happens. Because as we're going to talk about this weekend, hopefully in each text that we see, is we're going to sell out on God's promises that his word doesn't return void, that he will build his church, and that his word is the power unto salvation. And so the power comes from this, not from this. It comes from God being faithful to his word. It comes from God saying, I am going to call people unto myself through the power of my word. Even if it's a short section, or if it's a whole New Testament, or if it's the the entirety of the Bible. So every time that we read the word, every time that your pastors stand up to read the word... We pay attention. Why? Because this is the Lord speaking to us. It is God telling us who he is, revealing himself to us. This is about him and not about us. And so in God's kindness, uh, we planted the church and numbers have continued to grow. Uh, actually, just this last Sunday, I was telling Brendan, we, had, uh, we own about 130 chairs at the church and there were 126 people at church on Sunday. And so it was fun to watch the guys who were seating people trying to count chairs and find spaces for people. And that is all testament not to who we are, but to the faithfulness of a God who is still keeping the same promise that he said since Genesis 3.15. I am going to do the work. I'm going to be faithful to my church. And we're going to see that tonight, hopefully. So you can pray for us as we strive to be faithful to 
uh, preaching the word day in and day out. And with that in mind, I'd invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. In my preparation for this, I was helped greatly by Ralph Davis and Jeff Thomas. I just want to mention that before we get started. So if you hear me say one commentator said or one pastor said, most likely it was one of them. So let me read the word of God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and, the ear, and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until the cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. All of us know that John Piper said at the beginning of one of his books that missions exist because worship doesn't exist. And when we come to this text, what we see is the prophet Isaiah being overwhelmed with the glory of God, his holiness. And oftentimes we might have things that have happened in our lives, experiences that have happened, and it is overwhelming. I don't know for y'all, but it could be the first time I can remember being a little kid and being on a flight and looking down at the earth and thinking, wow, it is unbelievably small. But when I'm down there, it seems unbelievably big. Or maybe it's that you've been snorkeling. We live in Honduras and off the coast of Honduras, you can go and see the second largest reef that there is in the world after the Great Barrier Reef that runs along the north coast of Honduras And when you put your goggles on and you look down and you stare at it, you see all of God's creation under the sea and you're reminded, wow, he designed every bit of this. How small am I and how glorious is my God? I don't know what that experience might be like for you. Maybe you've traveled to places that have amazing architecture or amazing paintings or amazing museums and you've seen all these things and you've been overwhelmed. This is exactly what is happening with Isaiah in this text. Isaiah has come into the very presence of a holy God. And he's seeing who he is. And he's overcome by this. 
And in essence, that's what I want to open up here in this text is kind of the reaction of two different people and then what it causes when we come into contact with the holiness of God. And so, firstly, I would like us to look at how the unfallen creature responds to the holiness of God. We see it in verse 2. It says, Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Here we see these these created angels standing before the Lord and they are overwhelmed with who He is. As one of the commentators says, they have been singing God's praises without tiring for the entirety of creation. That their lungs are, are filled with wanting to sing the glory of God and they're overwhelmed with who He is. And all they can respond with is holy, holy, holy. And it's amazing that they are completely captivated. They are covering their eyes. They're covering their feet. They recognize that they do not belong in the presence of this God because of who He is. Because God is completely different. They recognize that there is a distinction between them and this God. That He is Creator and they are creation. It's amazing that what we get in this text is created holiness confronting uncreated holiness. Isn't that amazing that this is created holiness in the presence of uncreated holiness and the created holiness is covering itself because it cannot be in the very presence of this God. Because He is so holy and He is so overwhelming. And their reaction is to cover up. He's too holy to be grasped too holy for them to be in His presence. As Jeff Thomas says, one of the things that oftentimes we think is that that the holiness of God is the absence of sin. But it's not just the absence of sin. It is the presence of all that is good and true and pure and righteous. So it's not just that that God is, is without sin. It is that God is all things good and holy and pure. And this created being cannot even be in His presence. And they're overwhelmed. And all they can say is be captivated by His majesty. He's too good to behold. He can't be fully taken in. He's overwhelming. And their response is to say, holy, holy, holy. And to never grow tired of doing it. That all they can do is just respond in this way. In the same way as when they first saw Him, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. They still continue to say it. And they're captivated by their God. Oftentimes, you can see and hear it's almost as if they're saying it to each other. I don't know if you've ever watched football coaches in college football. They like to cover their mouths so you can't see what they're actually saying. They're not saying holy, holy, holy are the referees, right? They are actually speaking horribly, right? And so you, that's a negative, a negative way of looking at it. But they're covering their mouths because they don't want that to be seen. And in the same way, it is almost as if these two seraphims are, are hiding behind their wings and saying to one another, holy, holy, holy 
Can you see how holy he is? We can't even begin to take him in. We have to cover ourselves. And it's almost as if they're speaking to each other. It's the, the, the version of, I was telling our folks in Honduras, it's the version of on Facebook and Instagram now, you have that share button where you can share it to other people and you can let other people see what you're taking in. In essence, that's what they are doing. They are claiming the holiness of God and saying he is too much to take in. And they're encouraging one another in that reality. And then we get Isaiah that walks into the presence and is taking all of this in. And oftentimes, brothers and sisters, missions goes wrong. Our own evangelism goes wrong when we miss the holiness of God. Because we don't see how holy He is. And oftentimes our hearts grow cold. And we can sense it in our worship. We can sense it in our Bible reading. We can sense it in our prayers. We can sense it in our love for our neighbors. We can feel it in our minds as we think about the things of God. We can hear it in our words as we speak. And oftentimes, this is why this is so important as we talk about missions. Missions begins as we see the holiness and greatness of God. That what we want is that people would know how glorious our God is, how majestic and worthy of our praises He is. He is, as we're going to, as we saw today in the, with the men at lunchtime, you see the, the, the garrison demoniac and you see that the demons are cast out and his response to the holiness of God is to want to tell other people about the holiness of God. And when we get to Psalm 96 on Sunday morning, we're going to see that people knowing more of their God causes them to want the nations to know the glory of their God. As this, these angels take in God, the response is to sing His praises. But how often, how often have we gone wrong in our own hearts? As we've forgotten the holiness of our God. His majesty and His glory and the honor that is due His name. And we've become cold. And we've taken our eyes off of this holy God. So the question becomes, are we captivated first and foremost by our God? That Lord's Day by Lord's Day as we come, we long to sing His praises because we know who this God is. That we invite friends and family to come and hear us sing, even if they don't understand why we're doing this. That in their blindness, they're, they're thinking, why do they take their Sunday mornings and go and sit and listen to somebody stand up and talk? And why do they all gather together and, and sing songs? To what? Because we long that people understand that we understand that we are not our own, that we are bought with a price by Christ and we are captivated with our King. And it drives us forward. But then we not only see how the uncreated being responds. I mean, the, un, the, the one that is without sin. Now we see the sinful man standing before this holy God. Isaiah in verse 5 says, And I said, woe is me. This is the seventh woe. If you were to go back a chapter into chapter 5, there are six in verses 8, 11, 18, 20, 21, and 22. There are six woes. And all of those are woes to other things. And then in verse Five of chapter 6, he says, Woe is me, for I am lost. You see that as he sees the holiness of this God, 
He is overcome with his greatness. Jeff Thomas says, It is a fallacy to think that the divine presence would make us feel great. Oftentimes we think, oh, people have been saved. That's wonderful. They came into God's presence. But the the natural reaction oftentimes for people who are coming to be saved is they recognize how sinful they truly are. How much they truly need this Christ. How much they recognize that they cannot save themselves. And they're overcome. And there's repentance of sin. He's taking in the king. And he's overwhelmed with who he is. And so he says, I am a man of unclean lips, for I am lost and I dwell in the midst of a people. You see, as God draws near to Isaiah, he recognizes his sinfulness. He cries out like lepers would have had to do. I am unclean. Stay away. The holiness of God is is." is causing him to say, I am unclean and and do not deserve to be in your presence. And oftentimes, I think we struggle in the same way of not saying, woe is me, because we forget the holiness of God and the greatness of our sin. When our consciences are not bothered by bending the, the truth just a little bit. And we don't make coming to worship a priority in worshiping our God. When we make excuse for our sin, when we let our tongues go unchecked, when we hold resentment against other believers, when we look at things on our phones or our TVs that we shouldn't be looking at, is that we have forgotten the holiness of God. We've forgotten who this God is and how great our sin is and what it has caused. And so the appropriate response in the presence of God is to say, woe is me. So my question to us is, have we ever sat there and thought the same thing of ourselves? Woe is me, O Lord. My sin is great. I'm undone by my sin. And the holiness of God exposes us. It exposes the depth of our sin. And I love how Jeff Thomas says it. It is almost as if the flaming fire of God's holiness is licking at the sin of Isaiah. And all he can do is respond with, I am an unrighteous man. I am an unrighteous man. And it's always been very interesting to me that where he feels that unrighteousness is probably in the place where Isaiah was the most gifted. Isaiah was a a prophet who was well-versed and knew the word and, and his gift was in his lips. And the very place that he was probably the best is the place that he felt his need the most. Isn't that amazing that he's overcome by his sin in the place that he's the best? And isn't that what Isaiah 64, 6 tells us? That even our good works are like filthy rags. And he stands before this God and he admits who he is. And then he also says that I'm a man who lives amongst other people of unclean lips. He doesn't say, well, I have unclean lips, but I'm not as bad as everybody else that's around me. No, I live in a sinful people. 
And it's often interesting that we could leave it there and he's overcome with his sin. But we see how the sin must be dealt with. We see that in verse 6 that it says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that had been taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. He's cleansed first and foremost by the movement of God to him. I live in a place where most of the preaching is, comes from an Arminian point of view. So we're just, people are just constantly trying to get people to make decisions for Christ. And that is, we, we want gospel evangelism. But one of the things that's made the biggest impact in our people in our church is that we have come from this idea that it has always been God towards his people, not this people towards God. It is God doing the action. It is God doing the saving. It is God doing the work. It is God sending this angel so that he can touch his lips to show that how he is forgiven. It is God doing the work. And how do we see that in the New Testament? Because the very place that this, this coal came from was from the altar of forgiveness. And who is going to be placed on the altar of forgiveness that we might be forgiven? It is Christ that will feel the heat of this place with the wrath of God being poured upon him on that altar that he might be our propitiation. You see that what is shown to us is is how Christ will come and die on our behalf. And he will be touched by this fire of God's wrath that we might be saved. You want to see how committed Christ is to redeeming people. We see it in him coming and taking the form of a servant and dying. We see it at the cross. We see it as the wrath of God is poured out for my sins and for your sins. And then we get to verse 8 after all of this has happened. And Isaiah says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am. Send me. When we see the holiness of God, we're confronted with our sin, and then we see Christ dying for us so that we might be counted sons of the li- and daughters of the living God, the appropriate reaction is that we would want others to know that truth. You see that, that Isaiah doesn't say, send me because I know what's going to come. He says, I've come into contact with the holy God, so send me because I want other people to know about this God. I'm captivated with who my God is. Because the next part is going to be about how his ministry is going to be horrible. And he's going to, and it's going to be hard. And people aren't going to want to listen to him. They're going to be a stiff-necked people like we see in, in, in Acts. This is going to be a people that don't want anything to do with what is being preached. But he says, here I am, send me. Why? Because he wants people to know the glory of God. 
He wants people to be captivated with who God is, this holy, holy God. And not after the success of the ministry. His goal is the glory and fame of Jesus. And isn't that what we want in missions? Isn't that what you want Birdie preaching week in and week out? Isn't that what you want me preaching week in and week out? And Andy Young preaching week in and week out? Not us, but the holiness and grandeur of this God who has made covenant with his people and has shown his faithfulness by putting his own son on the cross. And that should drive us and propel us out because we have come to know the glory of this God. But you may say, well, Aaron, that sounds great on the mission field, but that that sounds great right here on Main Street. There are people who need to hear the, the wondrous good news of the gospel. And you may say, but, but, but Aaron, I've, I've tried that and nobody really wants to listen to me. Well, Isaiah got told, yeah, no, they're going to be deaf and dumb and hard-hearted and not want to hear and not respond. But in verse 13, we get reminded that there is a seed and there's a faithfulness of God in that. That God is the one doing the work. It is God being faithful. And so we go wholeheartedly and we preach And we pray and we sing and we read and we're propelled not because of who we are but because of who our God is. Because we're overwhelmed with who He is. We've seen His holiness. We've seen our need and we've seen Him meet that need in Christ Jesus. And then we're pressed out. And so I would challenge me and challenge us as we think about this is that what it's causing in our lives is our reaction to coming to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ causing us to tell others and say here I am Lord send me and that may look like just having conversations in the day-to-day things there was a professor at RTS Jackson, his name was Elias Medeiros. Dr. Medeiros was famous for the ways that he would just share the gospel everywhere he went. Oftentimes, uncomfortably. Because you would be in a restaurant in Jackson, Mississippi, and he would be talking to the waitress and say, tell me about your family. Are they saved? Do they know the Lord Jesus Christ? And then the next thing you know, he's praying for the entire restaurant for their food. And I'm sitting there going, what are we doing? And yet he was passionate about who God was. His God was real to him. And oftentimes, brothers and sisters, I have to admit that that where my evangelism goes wrong, my tongue gets held back is because I'm unimpressed with my God. Maybe we're unimpressed with our God. We're unimpressed with His holiness and His might and His power. And we really don't know that the Word will be enough. That maybe His Word won't come back how He says it will come back. And what it creates in us is an unbelief in this holy God who says, I will be faithful. And so what it drives us to is to be those who speak often to our neighbors and to our friends, and to our children. I sat with a man last night who has 
came to know the Lord later in life, and he has three unbelieving children, and it weighs on him in a way that he, he says, Aaron, I pray for him every day. And he said, and every time I'm with him, I open the scriptures and I read them to him and I tell him about the glory of our God. He said it hadn't changed anything in the last 15 years. But oftentimes, we may not know what's going on when somebody gives a gospel track or a Bible and it gets tossed out a window. And somebody comes by and picks it up. Because our God is not wasting a moment. If we believe in a God of providence, a God who is sovereign, He is not wasting a millisecond. You may say, I've walked Main Street and told everybody I can find about Jesus and nobody responds. Maybe you don't have 21 out of 21, right? Uh, Like Birdie had when he talked to 21 people and 21 people came to know the Lord. That's fantastic. Maybe you're 0 for 21. But if we believe the parable of sowers, and we believe that some will plant and others will water. We believe that the word of God will not return void. And that's why we gather Lord's Day by Lord's Day. That's why we worship together. That's why we hear the preaching of the word. Because we believe that it is powerful. We believe that it will do the work it has been ordained to do. That's why we can bless the Lord for what's going on at Andy's church in Oxford. Oxford is a hard place to be. And yet, he needs more space. Why? Because God is being faithful to his word. It's the same thing in Honduras. It's the same thing around the world. That's what we pray for here at Greenville. I even heard that today. Y'all are needing more space. Bless the Lord for that. Because God is faithful to his word. We should not ever hold back and doubt that. And when we do, We should be quick to repent of it. I would invite you tonight, if you are an unbeliever, if you don't know Christ here, if you have never said, woe is me at the holiness of God, I would say that what we see in this text is that God is willing and ready to forgive. Come to him. Come. He is willing and able If you're a believer, but maybe you are backslidden. Maybe you find your heart is cold. Your prayers are lacking. I would invite you to look at the glory of your God and be captivated with his holiness once again. See that he is a God who even uh, unsinful created beings are captivated by his glory. Be overwhelmed by your God again. Maybe you're a believer. You're not backslidden. You're just faithfully trying to live the Christian life. Realize that your God is faithful and he is holy. And he will be good and look to him as your constant help in all things. Trust him and look to him. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it does not return void. We thank you that your word is the power unto salvation. Oh Lord, as we think of the missionaries around the world and even the pastors here in Greenville and throughout South Carolina and the United States that will rise into pulpits this Lord's Day. 
Oh Lord, we pray that they would preach the glory of, of our God. We pray that your name would be lifted high. Oh Lord, we pray that many would say, what happened the last week of January in 2023 where churches seemed to see explosions of conversions? We pray that that would come through the work of the Spirit, through your word. That the people who rise to preach your word would not preach themselves, but that they would preach the gloriousness of our God. That we, O Lord, as a people would be captivated by you again. Lord, that we would be amazed at your holiness. That we would be amazed at your goodness and grace and mercy to us. Oh God, give us the ability to see your holiness and respond in speaking of your glory. Oh Lord, convict us of our unbelief. Convict us of our lack of love to you. Convict us of our sinfulness and being scared of men. But oh Lord, also convict us deep within our hearts that there's a world that, that we live in that needs to hear the good news. And you are a God who uses means. Oh, that you would see fit to use us to be faithful in what you've called us to do. To preach the gospel. To share with our friends and neighbors the goodness of and glory of our God and their need of him. And oh Lord, we ask that you would give to the church Greenville. We ask that you would give to the church Albania and that you would give Honduras. Oh Lord, we long to see churches exploding because the word is going forth. We bless your name that there are pulpits that will do that this Lord's day. We pray that you would cause great benefit through it, that saints would be encouraged that unbelievers would be called home. But most of all, O oh Lord, that you would receive all the glory and honor that is due your name. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.